Hi, you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, We Dig Plants. I am Alice Marcus-Krieg. And I'm Carmen DeVito. And we design, install, and maintain gardens here in New York City. Our company is called Groundworks. And our show, We Dig Plants, aims to bring the culture to horticulture. We're broadcasting from two shipping containers in Bushwick, Brooklyn, located next to Roberta's Pizza at 261 Moore Street. And there is, on top of this container, a garden that produces food for the restaurant. Uh, Today on the show, we are going to discuss irrigation, and more directly, water, after which... Well, after sunshine, it's like yeah, sorry, <laughs> is the most essential. Lost my train resource. of thought. Yes, uh, we have a, uh, an, a an amazing friend today and a guest with us, an irrigation expert, Stephen Potenzano, founder and president of Potenzano Irrigation and Lighting here in New York City. And we're lucky enough to have him on our show today because during gardening season, Stephen is working out in the field every day, installing and maintaining garden irrigation systems for our clients all over the city, many of which are gardens that Carmen and I have created with our Groundworks team. Welcome, Stephen. Ah, thank you. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you for having me. Good. So with the spring we're having here in New York, it will be a little bit more until those irrigation systems um, are up and and turned on. You're probably getting pretty close to that. Yes, we're all uh, getting, we're, we're starting our scheduling, and um, we're actually started up already. It's been nice in New York, and we've uh, been out and getting our installation started, so it's been nice. Right, so Carmen is going to tell us a little irrigation history today. I'll try not to bore everyone, but I thought it might be nice to put <laughs> water, it in, water everywhere. <laughs> to put it in perspective, before, we, before Stephen, here's what happened, all right? <laughs> so what is irrigation? What does it mean? Well, for our purposes, irrigation is defined as a sort of as an artificial application of water to the soil, not rain. In other words, it is used to assist in the growing of agricultural crops, maintenance of landscapes and revegetation of disturbed soils in dry areas and during periods of inadequate rainfall. Additionally, irrigation also has a few other uses, which I found really interesting. Um, In crop production, it includes protecting plants from frost, suppressing weed, uh, growing in grain fields and helping in preventing soil consolidation. Now, in contrast, agriculture that relies only on direct rainfall, which is pretty rare, is referred to as rain-fed or dry land farming. So most agriculture is irrigated. Now, in one form or another, irrigation has been used by a multitude of cultures in many parts of the world, especially in areas where the rainfall is inconsistent or infrequent. For example, there's evidence of the ancient Egyptian pharaoh Amenemet III in the 12th dynasty, which was about 1800 BC, using the natural lake of the Fayum Oasis as a reservoir to store surpluses of water for use during the dry season. You know, the lake swelled annually from the flooding of the Nile, and he would use that water, build canals, and and water the crops. Okay, there you have it. One, two, three. Yeah. (laughs) Yada, yada, yada. Now, also in the Zaina Valley of the Andes Mountains in Peru, archaeologists have found remains of three irrigation canals, radiocarbon dated from the 4th millennium BC, the 3rd millennium BC, and the 9th century CE. These canals are the earliest record of irrigation in the New World. Sophisticated irrigation and storage systems were developed also in the Indus Valley Civilization in North India, including the reservoirs at Jinar in 3000 BC, and there was also an early canal irrigation system from circa 2600 BC. So large-scale agriculture was, pub- was, was practiced in this area, and there was an extensive network of canals used uh, to irrigate it and to support that. 
Now, one of the most fascinating for me irrigation systems from the past were the irrigation works of ancient Sri Lanka. And the earliest from that period was 300 BC, and it's been under continuous development for the next thousands of years. They had some of the most complex, complex irrigation systems of the ancient world. In addition to underground canals, the Sinhalese were the first to build completely artificial reservoirs to store water. And due to their engineering superiority in this sector, they were often called the masters of irrigation. So, Stephen, I think you should go check them out when you go to Sri Lanka. Maybe you can get some tips from the ancient Sri Lankans. Now, the interesting thing is that most of these irrigation systems still exist undamaged up to now because of their precise and advanced engineering. Can you imagine an irrigation system lasting three 3,000 years. It's amazing. And I guess I'm in one of the oldest professions. Yeah, uh, exactly. That right, exists. One, right of a- one of them. <laughs> one of them. Right after gardening and, the other, and that other one. <laughs> um, so we can't forget about the Chinese because they have a, a rich agricultural and, and gardening history. And of course, they, they, they were some of the earliest hydraulic engineers. Um, one of the first um, in the Sichuan region, um, belonging to the state of Qin of ancient China, they developed this Dujuan irrigation system. It was built in 256 BC to irrigate an enormous area of farmland that today it still supplies water for. Now, by the second century AD, the Chinese during the Han Dynasty also used chain pumps that lifted water from lower elevations to higher elevations. These were powered by manual foot pedal, hydraulic water wheels, or rotating mechanical wheels pulled by oxen. I'm going to do that on some of our terraces uh, yeah. down Fifth Avenue. Stephen, do you think you could work that out? Instead of a le- <laughs> somebody says, I don't have power, we'll put some oxen on the terrace and it'll power the irrigation system. No, down below, and then we'll have we'll have chains <laughs> that go all the way up to the 35th that floor. That would work too. So... Um, so basically, what we're saying is, you know, out of necessity, irrigation in many forms has had a long and I think kind of interesting history. So let's jump forward to the present and bring you in, Stephen, to talk about how you got into the irrigation business a little bit. Well, I got into the irrigation business uh, when I was in college. It was my uh, summer job. And I would do it each summer during the break. And once I started doing it, you know, I got my degree and everything, but I'd never, after you work outdoors, I don't think you could ever really go back indoors. Yeah, no cubicles. In office. Yeah, no cubicles after that. Yeah. No. So I, um, I, you know, I did it, I did suburban irrigation uh, in Staten Island. I would do lawn sprinklers and, and things like that. And then I answered an ad for uh, a New York City company. And I really never knew about New York City irrigation. Yeah. And um, I mean, it was like a whole new world opened up doing rooftops and terraces. That's some good office space. <laughs> yes, and, and the beauty of it is you're in a different location every day. You're working outdoors, and you do get to see some of the nicest, you know, apartments and, and residences in New York City. And views, right. Yes. Right. So what are the components of a modern irrigation system that's in use today? Well, the basic uh, components that we use on a terrace, you know, is the poly pipe that we use. And, and what's a poly pipe for our listeners? A polyurethane pipe, uh, it's a plastic pipe that you can cut and really build around, you know, different angles. And um, and it's flexible, somewhat flexible. And it's sort of flexible, yeah. Yeah. And uh, then you can puncture that and put spaghetti tubes in it, which are the drip tubes. Uh-huh. So you have a lot of flexibility using this type of piping as opposed to like a PVC hard pipe where you have to cut and paste and things like that. Yeah, and those spaghettis really allow um, accurate water irrigation per plant so that you're not 
overwatering or underwatering, or it's a really precise measurement. Yeah, right. it's pinpoint. And you're not wasting water. Exactly. When, you do, when you're doing drip irrigation, the water goes directly to where you need it to go. Uh-huh. So what are, if you can explain to our listeners, what are the different types of systems? There's a spray system, a drip system, the soaker the system. Right. In New York City, uh, which, which is my basic uh, home base there, uh, there's three types. There's lawn sprinklers that we still use on big apartment buildings and Actually, I do have some terraces where I have spray systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, we, then we have a soaker hose, which is a traditional soaker hose that some people can buy at like a Home Depot type uh, place. And then there's other inline drip piping, which has emitters built into the piping itself. And we can put those around like on a green roof and uh, certain applications that that works better. But the uh, system that we use most of all is uh, the spaghetti tube type drip irrigation. Mm-hmm. And then there's different customization and zones, right? Can yes. you tell our listeners a little bit about that? That's this is actually very important. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so for instance, if I have a, a terrace with multiple levels and different type of plant materials, you would use different emitters and uh, different flow rates to water those precisely. Again, right. not to waste the water. Right, like a lawn versus um, trees, trees, or, or a container building. Yeah, yeah. a containerized uh, system. Right. Right. Um, and, you know, uh, another thing I think to, to talk about when when we're talking, we're talking about gardens that are up on terraces and there's so much wind evaporation uh, and, and wind kind of energy up there that that evaporates the water. What's really important is that these systems are very targeted to the root ball and to the planter. So you're really capturing the water in a much more efficient manner. Yeah, exactly. a spray system, the, the wind up there on some of these terraces, 20 and 30 stories up, it would just, it would just blow away. It wouldn't, it wouldn't hit the plants at all. You right, know? And, and that's one of the problems with, with spray, you know, the t- traditional lawn sprinkler spray systems. When it's a windy day, the wind just takes the spray, you know, and blows it around. Yeah. Whereas with a drip system, you're just right on the root ball or you're right where the water needs to be. Right, right. So who do you think should consider an irrigation system? Like, it's kind of an expense, you know, yeah, as, a, as a homeowner. But Carmen and I always say it's an insurance policy. <laughs> to a degree, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that if you're going to invest a lot of money in your plant material, uh, a lot of times we have clients that think they, they're going to you know, go out and water and it's going to be fun to do the watering every day. And after yeah. a while, it gets... <laughs> That's you know, a laugh. Yeah, yeah. it becomes very <laughs> tedious and, and you know, they're not watering at the right times of day. Usually we water early in the morning so the, so the soil is moist when the sun comes up and gets hot. And, uh, you know, it, it's, I think it saves them money in the long run because their plants will last longer. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's funny that they always think that they can do it themselves. And once but they, they get the irrigation do. system, they're yeah. so happy. No, and go ahead, carry that bucket of water, you know, across your apartment, you know, <laughs> onto your hot terrace. Or drag the hose around the terrace yeah. or, you know, bring it outside. And, and it, it just, you know, it saves lots of time. Uh-huh. And I think the plants do much better when they're watered earlier in the morning. We usually water at about 4 a.m. Right. And, um, and, and, and we do that in the city because if we're doing, you know, buildings with the terrace on the 30th floor and things like that, the pressure is better in the building when no one's using the water. Exactly, <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. And also a component that I want to mention too, Stephen, that we find helpful is that there are rain sensors that these come with. Yeah. So you're not, you know, even though it's like automatic per se, um, you can shut it off 
you, you know, you can have this rain sensor that detects how much, you know, if it gets wet enough, then the irrigation system gets turned off until right. the until the sensor dries out. Is that correct? Yes. And then we also have smart controllers that water every other day. They can water yeah. morning and afternoon. So it's not just that, you know, you just do it in the morning. You can program these timers now to give you a certain amount of percentage of water and things like that. So it, it's much easier these days to uh, water the terraces and rooftops yeah, more we, precisely. We often suggest to our clients, especially in the heat of July and August, that their gardens really need a late afternoon spritz, you know, yes. four thirty, five o'clock. You know, every every other person likes to have a little drink of water. You know? right. And the plants are just, you know, the water is evaporating out of their leaves at a faster rate than even the irrigation system on a daily basis can replenish. You know, so so let's talk about, okay, you, you decided that you want to get an irrigation system. What does the client need to have in place before you can install a system in, in a garden? Uh, well, in New York City especially, it, it's very simple. All I really need is a hose bib and an electrical outlet, and I could take it from there. Okay. So uh, it's very simple in Manhattan and, and the boroughs that as long as I just have one water source, uh, basically all I need and I just zone it off from there. And zoning is, again, where I could water one section at a time and uh, bring the water to any areas that we need different times of water. And it's basically very easy in Manhattan to do it like that. Right, right. And these, you know, these, these timers are also pretty easy to manipulate and, and to work. It's, it's basically no more difficult than your alarm you know, yeah, right. yeah. than your bedside alarm. People get very intimidated by them, but you know, we've been able to train a number, like a number of our gardeners, to to adjust them because you know the irrigation contractor will typically come, turn on the system in the spring, make any repairs, make any adjustments that are needed, and then it's up to the client or the gardener to adjust them unless they want to pay the irrigation contractor, which some of them do, right. come back and adjust it because you need a different amount of water in April and May and June than you do, you know, in July and. August and September. Yeah. So you can't just like kind of turn it on and then let it be, you know? Yeah, there's no blanket rule for Exactly. For and, water. and the timers that we use, I use a, uh, a Nelson timer made by Signature, and they're very, very simple. And you're right, the clients do get, get intimidated by these timers, and I try to use the simplest one I, I can find to help <laughs> them with that. Yeah, yeah. Again, though, a lot of times we think that the, the less the client touches the timer, the better, but... <laughs> Um, they, it's a very simple timer. It's not hard to figure out how to, how to adjust it during the season, especially if we have a season like last summer where it's hot every day and every night, and they did need to do the adjustments. And some of the gardens suffered because the client didn't take care of you know, it, doing the adjustments themselves. Yeah, and alternatively, if it's pouring <laughs> rain for a week, turn Shut the it system off. off. Right. Yeah. All you have to do is push a button to turn yeah. it off. Yeah. I know. It's very we, simple. And so many of the gardens last year got, suffered through the drought of the summer and then the wet fall. You know, right. it was just, we're going to see a lot of death this spring, I think, Stephen. From, La- from last summer was a very tricky summer to, to do irrigation just because of the, the relentless heat that we went through every day. And those pesky oxen sleeping on <laughs> They just are so... They refuse to... <laughs> so lazy. No matter how much I whip them. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, we have to take a break. Hold on to the line. You're listening to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. We're talking about water. Now, if your man is getting lazy... 
Public service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Tune in to Greenhorn Radio, hosted by Severin von Scharner Fleming, every Thursday at 2 p.m. Greenhorn Radio is radio for young farmers by young farmers. Helmed by acclaimed activist, farmer, and documentarian Severin Fleming, Greenhorn Radio is a weekly phone interview session surveying America's cutting edge under 40 farmers. Again, that's every Thursday at 2 p.m. on the Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back. You're listening to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. That was a song by Aaron Burton, irrigation technician. Right, Stephen? <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I didn't hear what you said. I'm sorry. Did you hear that song? No. I, uh, oh, wait till you hear about, it. It's all about land pipe, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> Hot lawns and land pipe. If your man ain't tending to your lawn. <laughs> you just call my number. number. So how much water can you really save by using an irrigation system? Well, I think you could save a lot. And, it, and also, uh, with tending to the garden right, um, with an irrigation system, we already mentioned, uh, rain sensors are very important to use to save water. Using drip as opposed to spray saves the water. And also, things like mulching a garden, uh, you know, helps with the evaporation of the water. Right. And um, the time of day that you water is important to mm-hmm. save water. Uh, if you do it early in the morning, like we said, uh, the garden tends to stay moist longer as opposed to watering during the heat of day, which isn't good for the plants to begin with. Right. And things like that. So tell us about some new kind of innovative things that are going on with irrigation. Well, there's, there, there's new things every season. It's, it's incredible. Um, I was seeing, I was just looking into new sprinkler heads that have um, check valves built in. So sometimes when you're building an irrigation system with spray heads and you you have like a, a head on a downhill. Water still comes out because of the gravity pulling the water down to that head, and now they have check valves so that it doesn't keep dripping. Oh, and that that's saves great. Water. And there's moisture sensors <laughs> that you can put in the soil to shut the irrigation system down when, when it senses that there is enough water. Oh, uh, that, that's really cool. Yeah, and, and also in the inline drip pipe that they have, the filter system in, in the inline drip itself, uh-huh. where the emitters are, which cleans the, the water as it goes through. So there, there's a lot of innovations. The smart timers are great. You can, you know, program really basically anything you really want to program in them. And I love those timers that were remote 
you know, that right. uh, you started using sometimes when we're, um, you know, working in tight spaces or the, the water bib is in a really awkward place, which sometimes it is. And it's very expensive to move them. Yeah, you, you know? have to get into like warrior two yoga position to get into these <laughs> yeah. little areas. Yeah. So these new like remote ones are really great. Are there any systems that you can um, control from your iPad? <laughs> oh, you know, yeah. I, I'm sure there is. I, I actually built a lighting system last season and the, the, the owner... I asked him to turn the lights on so we could take a look at it, and he adjusted the lights with his iPad, and he dimmed them and brought them back up, and it was pretty amazing. Well, lot so, I haven't seen it myself, <laughs> but I'm sure. I'm sure it's out there. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about aesthetics, Stephen. Like, sometimes people who haven't ever had an irrigation system might be worried that it, it looks unattractive or it, it sort of impacts how the garden looks. But they're pretty inobtrusive if they're done correctly, right? Right. And aesthetics, are, with my company, that's one of the most important things. We're working, like you said, in tight areas, and everything has to disappear. The best irrigation system is one, really, that you can't see. Right. So we're very good at hiding the irrigation piping. We've been doing it for a number of years, and... And that is one of, our, uh, I think, the, one of the best things about my company is that we can build almost an uh, invisible irrigation system. Yeah. Sometimes and it's too invisible, Stephen, <laughs> because I cut it with our spade. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. And, and cutting the tips of spaghetti tubes and things like that. But, um, again, I think the best irrigation system is the one that you don't see. And when we're working on Park Avenue and people are spending, you know, a lot of money on their gardens, they don't want to see the irrigation. Yeah. They just want to make sure it works. And, and, and if a pipe does need to be visible, you know, it can always be thread through a copper pipe. Right. Um, through a sleeve of some sort. Yeah, exactly, because certainly the copper will weather and, and give a much better appearance. Right. Yeah, we, we use copper a lot on, on, on terraces. Yeah. And there's a lot of tricks that you all do. You know, you, you snake behind planters, you drill from underneath. You, you don't have to live with it and see it. No, usually you don't see it, and that's one of the beauties of it. Um, like I said, we're very good to the aesthetics, and it's always very important uh, to take that into consideration when you're designing your system. Uh-huh. That you're uh, you're going to hide it well, and and you know. Yeah, and to think about it, um, you know, tying in with the paving so that the piping goes in before the paving, things like that. Yeah, you right. should bring the irrigation contractor in for the lighting and the irrigation when at the earliest part of the design process. That's what Alice and I always do, or we try to do with Stephen. Is you know, don't make it an afterthought because then later you have to pick up paving, or then then it will be visible. Or and you it becomes more costly as when you do it that yeah, way. Yeah, and you've yeah. got wires everywhere. and Right. Yeah. And it's more manpower and, you know, it's just much easier for the contractor to come in while the gar- before the garden is in place. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Carm, you want to talk about water in New York City? Yeah. So we've had a rainy, rainy, uh, a snowy winter. Yeah. And we've got a high water table this And we've year. got a high water yep. table. So there will not be a drought. So <laughs> we're not worried about drought. However, we have a number of eco-conscious clients who are obsessed with you know, saving water. <laughs> right. Um, and a number of them have asked us for rain barrels and cisterns and things like that. And, and that sometimes, you know, that's possible and sometimes it's not. Um, you know, they want to try to collect the water and use the rainwater. And are there any systems available or, or that you know of that are being developed that could incorporate rainwater? Well, you know, I've looked into cistern systems and <clears throat> rain barrel collection and things like that. And unfortunately, in New York City, Space is such a uh, hot commodity, say. Right. And we don't have the space for, for, you know, these things. And even though I'm sure it would be helpful to use, uh, 
that's the drawback of, of you know, the, the systems in New York City is that the space is so limited that um, to have a barrel on the terrace or, you They'd know... have to be a big barrel to supply right. enough water. I mean, we get, I think, um, I read a statistic, we get about 47 inches of rain a year, but it has to be a good amount. Right. You know, d- during the time when you need it. You don't need it in April right. and you don't need it much in May. But what if you have no rain, you know, in like August? we had last summer. And we yeah. had last summer, it was a very hot, dry summer. So you'd have to have a replenishing system for those cisterns. Right. To, to, to refill the barrels and things like that. And I don't think it, at this point in time it's feasible in New York Again, because of the space limitation. Yeah, you have to have like a 200-gallon cistern or something. And also How much space does that take? And also sometimes right. the weight of, you know, of that, much, that water. much water could right. be an issue, too. And we were talking about the aesthetics of building an invisible irrigation system. And <laughs> that would There's be like a big invisible. elephant on your terrace. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> that, that, that oxen would be less visible, probably. <laughs> no. A lot of times, if we, you know, people have good intentions and, you know, they're conscious of the environment but they have to really be practical too right you know right so So, i I mean we would love to be able to do things like that but we're our space is limited many many times so it's not really feasible for our application and also where are you you know you have to usually a good way to get a lot of water to fill a cistern is off of a roof right Right. now in a common building how are you going to collect water from that common roof area well, you'd have to you know? attach it to the drain pipe somehow yeah. and, and then have, like, the, the barrel of the cistern filling up. And, again, the space is limited in New York. So, yeah. uh, But then again, you know, if you have a green roof, then you do put soca hose and the inline drip, and that saves water. So you're not, you, you try to be conscious of not wasting water. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what we try to do. Yeah, and it's a, it's a great as a backup system, you know, to, to have it. Like, say you want to use a rain barrel for your own watering use, you know, because you're watering maybe once a week by hand or additionally something. or something. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it is a, it is a, or to attach your hose to, to hose yeah. down the patio. Right. You don't need a lot. You don't need many gallons of water for that. I would say, you know, if you have the space for a cistern, attach the hose to it and use it for that kind of thing, you know, right. Right. again, if you have the space to do that. Yeah. So we've, we've worked together on many projects, Stephen, and, and, um, you know, without naming any names, um, <laughs> although we'd love to, we'd love to. Um, can you tell us some of the most interest, one of the you know interesting or challenging projects that you've worked on in the recent past? That's really like, you know, like the craziest story. Yeah, <laughs> New York story. Well, one uh, one uh, we worked at on a we did a one of those um, those projects where you you renovate the backyard, and we did a house in Brownsville. When we got there, it was just a. a trash all over the place in the backyard it was just really uh, right. you know a wreck the backyard and we went in with another crew and they cleaned it out they built a whole garden we put irrigation and lighting in and it all happened in one day and wow. it was filmed for a television show uh-huh. uh unfortunately my company had about 10 seconds worth <laughs> of, of time on that yeah <laughs> So um, it didn't really work out for that. But the, the, the people that lived in the building had a beautiful backyard within a day. So that was kind of nice to work on. That's uh-huh. amazing. And then I have some clients that I've had probably for 20 years. So they've seen me, you know, get married, have kids. So, you yeah. know, you do have long relationships in the irrigation field because usually if you build it and they like what you've done, they keep you on. And I've had clients for 20 years now. Yeah. And so have me and Carmen, which is really fun. Yeah, it's real nice. That's a, it's a good way to, um, 
I know we have some clients that we knew the kids as children. Now they're married and they've had kids, yeah. you know? Yeah. And we're like, it's, it's just, you feel part of the family. We've gone to people's weddings, you know, yeah. we've gone right. to bar mitzvahs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you it's know? a good feeling when they like, you know, that when you, when you have a relationship like that and you stay on with each other for, for 20 years. Yeah. And especially in the city, because in the suburbs, you don't have to usually enter people's homes to do any of this gardening work or any um, of the irrigation work, unless the timer's inside. But in the city, we, ha- we go through people's homes. You do it every day, Stephen. We right. do it every day. There's a level of trust and intimacy. You know, intimacy, you yeah. know, sometimes more than you want. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And they want your opinion on their gardens, and, and, and you can contribute to that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I also had a client, uh, Dominic Dunn. He passed away, uh, you know, I think last year it was. And I, I had him as a client for 20 years. He was a writer for Vanity Fair. Uh, he wrote novels. Uh-huh. Uh, and for Vanity Fair, he, he would do celebrity trials. Uh-huh. And he, he covered the OJ trial, and he was funny. He'd always invite me in, and he'd sit there in his shorts, and <laughs> he would tell me, like, things that were going to happen at the OJ trial that he knew of that wasn't oh published yet. And he was just such a really nice man, really, really nice man. Yeah. And, um, but just things like that. He, you know, he had parties with Humphrey Bogart when he, when he was living in Hollywood. Yeah. So, I mean, just those kind of things. When you can meet people like that, and they invite you in and talk with you and you know those things are real nice it's um carmen and i keep waiting for a law and order episode where the gardener and the irrigation company is like involved somehow and finding you know uncovering some clue i know we've we've uncovered a a lot of things as i'm sure uh you have Stephen things you didn't want to see in the in the soils where we've dug in <laughs> sure. New York. Yes. That's that why we. Happen, yes. Oh, and that's where we're like you must wear gloves. You must wear gloves. <laughs> yeah. You know. Now, Stephen, you don't just install irrigation systems. We touched on it a little bit, but you also install low voltage outdoor lighting. Um, yes, we do. Can you describe what that is and how that's different from you know the interior inline lights? Sure. Uh, with low voltage lighting, all you really need is an uh, again just an outlet on your terrace. I could you know I. I give you a transformer, and we run cable off the transformer to the way that we want the lights. Uh, we uplight the trees, we downlight the trees, the paths. Um, yeah. Lighting brings so enhancement to so much of the garden, and uh, summer and winter. In winter, you know, if you have lighting in your garden, it looks great in the snow. Yeah. Um, in gardens, you could, you know, make it so you're lighting the trees and you're creating shadow, and it's just a really beautiful effect. And Low voltage lighting has come so far in even the last ten years. Now, what Just, a, like the way the fixtures look and everything is. There's so a lot of nicer. choices. There's yeah. a lot of choices. Yeah. And Stephen, what are your thoughts about these LED lights? That's kind of a hot design term right now. Yeah, LED. A lot of people like them. Uh, the batter, uh, the uh, bulb light, uh, light. It, it, it's not quite what incandescent is right now because um, uh-huh. it's more bluish and off white. But the bulb, it's not as bright. Right. right. But the bulb lifetime is so much greater. And a lot of designers are now, you know, specking gardens with LED lighting, yeah. especially strip lighting, which you can get a long strip now and downlight, you know, under cabinets and things like that outside. Right. That, um, or put it in paving to mark a step, a grade right. change. Right. Right. And there's a lot of innovations coming out. It, it, every season there's more and more available. And and so you think just with time it's going to get better and better? Yeah, I think so. And I think as soon as when they start getting the right colors to use uh-huh. and things like that, that's a, about the only prohibitive factor I think right now is the the heat of the light and and the color that it produces. Yeah, and the LED. Yeah, right, and the LED. But the but its advantage is that it uses much less 
energy. Uh, energy. Energy, right. And right. also has a long lifespan. But I had some weird experiences with LEDs. I've bought some fixtures where the bulb is not replaceable. Like you have to throw it out. It lasts a lifetime, but I'm like, if it breaks, you right. know, if my yeah. kid hits it with the ball, you know, then I can't replace it. That then, to me was weird. Yeah. You know? Then you're in the landfill. So how good is that? Yeah. Right. I kind of think it's a trade off a little bit. You have to decide, you know, application. You know, some clients have used their yard, their children have children, and the children use, you know, the space a lot. And you have to think about that when right. you're designing the lighting. And again, bring the irrigation and lighting contractor in early in the design process so that it's not an afterthought. A lot of people think, oh, I've got lights against my house and I'm in the city and I've got a lot of ambient light, so it's enough. It usually is not enough. Right. And it it really enhances the garden to light it up. Uh, A lot of times, uh, you know, I get asked about a solar lighting and solar lighting just hasn't come far enough. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, you know, they they want to be energy conscious, but... Again, I don't think it's come far enough to, to use solar lighting yet. And those are some funky fixtures. Those are some <laughs> big, <laughs> funky <laughs> fixtures. <laughs> I'm <And> sorry. <laughs> I know, and I, I, I can't tell you how many solar light fixtures I've thrown out personally, yeah. Stephen. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. they, they last a while, and they, they, don't, they don't hold up to the elements well enough, no. you know, to and me. It, you they're know? just not that far down the line yet with the, the solar lighting. Yeah, but I hope they can be, you know, I really do. You know, things things happen fast, so you never know. Yeah, another fun thing that that, um, Stephen gets to install, um, back to the irrigation side, are outdoor showers. Oh, Oh, yes. yes. (laughs) That's really fun when when you go up to a a new terrace or a new garden and all of a sudden there's this little private outdoor shower um, that Stephen has rigged up. That's fun. Yeah, because the terraces do get very hot, especially ones that have like stone surfaces, a stone paving. Uh-huh. Right. It's really nice to be able to Spritz to off. cool down, you know, and, and also to you know entice your neighbors. Well, <laughs> and again, that, and that's pretty much the last few seasons that's come around. That's become popular yeah. the showers, and and people can buy them prefab now. Uh-huh. They're beautiful, you know, and yeah. they can hook it up to a hose bib themselves. Now. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, they're really nice. Yeah, and it's good for kids too. If they're outdoor, you know, outside playing, they can play in the water, and it's it's a lot easier to manage than a big heavy like kiddie pool, you know. Right. Which, like, well, the is, weight of that too. Is yeah, and the water issue. gets slimy. Yeah, you know, it's, bacteria. Yeah. So, well, thanks, Stephen, for joining us and for shedding some light and water <laughs> on these issues. <laughs> well, thank you for having me, and we always uh, appreciate working with you guys. And we will see you soon in the gardens. Okay. Okay. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. Uh, We'll be posting a link to Stephen's website on our Facebook fan page, which we hope you will join as well. You can listen to archive shows uh, via the website, heritageradionetwork.com, or on iTunes. And thanks for listening. See you in the garden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. 
This is Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer. This week, I came across a new website from the American Meat Institute and the American Meat Scientists Association. It's called www.meatmythcrushers.com. It is purports to be addressing consumer concerns about additives such as sodium nitrates in your, um, you know, ham and turkey roll and whatever, and animal welfare and food safety. I noticed as I went through the uh, Meat Myth Crushers website, however, that it did not address anything like uh, subtherapeutic uh, antibiotic use in the meat chain. So um, I'm not sure how many myths they intend to crush. But, you know, as I say, always say, it's good to know what the opposition is thinking. And if you want to be fair about any uh, issues around the food scene, it's wise to keep up with their press as well as ours. That's it for Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer. Did you know we have a show entirely about cheese? Take a listen. Well, I know this is a, it's horrible to do visual things on the radio, <laughs> but if you were all sitting in the studio, you would see this wheel from, from late May is quite pale in color. It's, yeah. a, um, it's a little bit, yeah, like a milkier, um, uh, sort of a very soft yellow. And then the, the wheel from late June is quite golden and intense looking. It's a really deep, deep yellow. Um, what causes that? that difference well i'm quite sure it's the grass it's the keratin in the grass and um that's giving it that yellow color not fat um but definitely coming from from the pasture um our animals are fed hay through the winter now we we don't use fermented feed because that won't work with our cheese Mm -hmm. but um so they're essentially grass-fed year-round with grain stuff. If you like what you hear, Cutting the Curd airs every Monday at 4.30 p.m. on Heritage Radio Network. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast or check it out in our archives.